AppDynamics has launched AppDynamics Cloud. Ingest all metrics, events, logs, and trace data and visualize your full stack of cloud-native architectures at scale. Learn more and observe what matters at appdynamics.com slash cloudtourpromo. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the Full Stack Journey podcast, where we talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional. Thank you so much for listening. I am your host, Scott Lowe, and my goal today, as always, is to help equip and prepare listeners for their journey of learning across the full stack of technologies that are present in today's data centers and cloud environments. Along the way, we also talk to folks about their careers, the decisions they've made, the technologies they've worked with, um, lessons that they've learned that uh, those of you who are listening might be able to apply to your own careers. And uh, that's the sort of uh, show that we have being prepared, uh, we've prepared for you um, today. And so I'm very excited to have uh, as a guest today, Kat Morgan. And Kat and I used to work together at Kong and uh, I have since moved on to other things and she has since moved on to other things, but I will leave that to her. So Kat, over to you, why don't you introduce yourself and let me just say, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Hey, Scott. Yeah, um, I'm glad to be here. Um, like Scott said, my name is Kat Morgan. I am uh, currently a software engineer working on Microsoft uh, Azure projects. And then, as he said, we worked at Kong and um, had a good run of it there. Um, so I'm glad to be back where we can kind of talk through what all we've seen. You mentioned evolutionary things, so I just wanted to say uh, in the scheme of IT evolution, I am your friendly neighborhood Neanderthal, but we'll uh, try to touch on some fun topics anyway. Well, somehow I doubt that that is an accurate uh, representation, but we appreciate your your humility. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Kat, it is, again, I just, you know, it's awesome to have you on the show. Um, it's like being able to catch up with an old friend, which you are. We haven't had a chance to catch up as much as we should have since we both have moved off in other directions, but um, it, it's, it's great. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I, I hope that the listeners will find it uh, as useful and as entertaining as I know that I will. Um, but first, let's play this new little thing that I've decided to start doing with some of our guests where um, we're going to help the listeners get a little more familiar with you. And we're going to do that with some quick questions. Nothing too, you know, personal or probing unless you feel like your choice of, you know, editor is too personal. Um, but, uh, okay, so here we go. Uh, you know, what is your favorite kind of food? My favorite kind of food. Okay, so food is always a great topic. At least it's the best topic, in my opinion. If you're traveling, like the highlight of traveling should be sharing food with friends and people that you enjoy traveling with and enjoying adventures with. So that's kind of how I mark all of my favorite memories. And I grew up in Oklahoma, which is kind of like the poor Texas. And at the same time, we have a huge Latino population there, which I, I credit with the wonderful blessing of teaching us all about flavor. So... I, I would have to say if there's one food I couldn't live without, it would it would have to be like all the different Latin American cuisine. Perfect. Okay, great. Awesome. 
Uh, I, I tend to lean that way myself too. So that, that's good. Uh, all right. Pass the test. That's good. Yeah, you pass the test. Exactly. Uh, all right. Linux, Mac, or Windows? Right now I'm on a Mac, but that's a, a holdover from things that I had to do when I was uh, enjoying a stint in DevRel. Um, before that, I was full-time Linux for years, running Fedora myself, actually. Right. Okay. And I, and I feel that because I am also on a Mac right now. But um, if, if I could do all the things that I do on a day-to-day -day basis as easily on Linux, I absolutely would. Um, it's so close now, though. It is. I agree. It is. It's really, really close. Um, they're just just a few things just and and like bluetooth <laughs> yeah that, that's one yes <laughs> um all right um favorite text editor favorite text editor yeah. all right it, so it can be gui or console either one yes um you know i've i've never actually i don't think i've even run emacs so i'm not gonna throw it under a bus but i am forever attached to them and as much as I will sing the praises of VS Code because I think it is an amazing tool, the number of times that I find myself in the little like pop-up console in VS Code using Vim, and then I'm like, I'm in a text editor. Why am I here? Right? <laughs> but it's just, it's that habit. And the thing is, you can find it anywhere. So no matter what you SSH into, you have VI or Vim or whatever, right? And I, I think it will probably be on my tombstone. Died using Vim. Okay, there you go. All right. Well, there you go. There is Cat Morgan in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> no, obviously, there's much more to you than that, but that at least gives, a, a, you know, listeners an idea of, you know, sort of the, the way that you think, which is... I which feel is sorry awesome. for the nutshell. That's a big, big, big task. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the things that uh, I know about you from our uh, time working together and all that is that you like to get into a lot of different things. You know, sometimes I think that... Uh, that, that, and I had somebody ask me about this the other day. They said, you know, so what do you do besides your day job? And I said, well, you know, I'm working on a book with some, a couple other folks and I have a podcast and then I write on my blog and that kind of thing. And I feel like, okay, you know, that's, that keeps me pretty busy. But then I look at some of the projects that you're involved in and I think, wow, you know, like she's like really busy. So let, let's take a minute and kind of talk about some of the things that, you know, you're kind of working on. We'll, we'll dig into more detail later on and, and also sort of tie in yeah. maybe a little bit of a career thread to that, right? Um, but yeah, you know, what are the, some of the things that you that you enjoy working on these days? Um, so uh, trying to become an adult first and foremost. Someday <laughs> I'll grow up. Um, I don't know what I want to be yet. Um, but more more often than not, the projects that I get involved with are at least all trending towards a common theme. So if it always feels like I'm usually working on one thing, even if it touches, you know, means irons in a few different fires. But Cooper is obviously a big one. It's kind of what led into uh, my recent job change. Um, big into all things Linux hypervisors. Um, I, uh, did I mention I grew up in, a, in kind of a, a poor place? <laughs> so I, uh, being an autodidact, had to make do with what I could get um, from with the, with the community supported stuff and that include Linux hypervisors. Um, so everything really just kind of supports that origin story, if you will. Um, and it's led into working in a little bit of Ansible, um, using a lot of different tools, obviously Pulumi, um, and 
the, the big project that I'm really excited about now, besides just my staples, is um, formerly known as UOR Framework. It's Empress. Um, and it's all about taking OCI registries and turning them on their head to say, hey, look, we can actually use this really successful pattern to store and distribute anything and make it much more um, efficient to find and relate different pieces of information with each other. So I'm super passionate about that, but I'll, I'll get off of that podium for now. That's right. We'll give you plenty of time to climb back on that soapbox in a little bit, because I think that's a really interesting piece. And I'd, and I'd love, you know, I know you and I have had some private conversations about it as I was trying to understand what it was and you took the time to explain it. Um, I think it would be helpful for our listeners to kind of, you know, help wrap their heads around it as well. But I'm just, I'm just curious, like, you know, if I recall correctly and, and, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but like, you know, you, you spent some time at Red Hat. Um, I think there was something else before you came to Kong, but I don't remember. And, and now you're at Microsoft. And so there's been, you know, a, a pretty cool evolution, but like, how did, how did some of these projects like play into that? Were they like results of career shifts or did they actually help like instigate the career shifts? You know, you know um, so, so origin story, uh, we'll try to do the nutshell version again here. I was doing a lot with a bunch of like small mom and pop type shop, food and bev, um, doing a little bit of, uh, state representative work and all kinds of big work almost um, in Oklahoma before my tech career started. Tried my hand at college and that just didn't stick. And uh, then I jumped, um, jumped into, Dell has a call center there. And I applied for a job and I thought they just looked, uh, overlooked me. But uh, about eight months later, they gave me a call and I was working at the time and I, they said, can you be here tomorrow? And I was like, I don't care what the consequences are. Yes, I will be there tomorrow, right? And that was just kind of foot in the door because it was, it was funny in the interview, they asked a lot of Windows questions and um, I couldn't answer a single thing. I didn't know what a PST file was at the time, which of course is key piece of using Outlook, which a lot of people use. Um, so at the same time, apparently I was able to speak a number of things about Linux that sounded smart enough that they thought that they could take a risk on me. Um, so I got, got my foot in the door there, was answering phones, found my way over to the Penguin side of the house doing um, Sputnik work. Um, so that's Dell's you know, Ubuntu on their XPS line and such. And then jumped over to Canonical doing support again there, which was kind of where I got my first taste of enterprise instead of just endpoint devices. Uh, so we were doing so a lot of OpenStack work. Um, it's funny, I did telecom stuff there and I swore off of it for forever, which is going to be funny in just a minute. And then Red Hat uh, took me on to do OpenShift um, field consulting. So building OpenShift automation and such to deploy for customers. Um, we did a lot of DOD stuff and bank. Um, industry stuff, which was really educational. That was kind of my first real taste of Kubernetes. Um, say what you will about OpenShift. It was great for my personal skill set. And then from there, yeah, um, you saw most of my time at Kong. I think I was there just before you got there. And the whole, the whole time, even my interview, uh, I think um, I was being told, we got Scott Lowe. You're going to love meeting him. And, you know, to this day, I think they were right. 
Why, thank you. Well, since since then, um, uh, I recently just accepted the the job working on on-prem Azure platform development, so that um, Telcom, of course, is our main customer right now. Uh, carriers can run their near edge data centers fully integrated in into the Azure API and ecosystem, but um, on top of Kubevert is kind of the delivery mechanism for AKS and the rest of that platform. So that is a very cool story of your career. Great, great nutshell, by the way. Um, I, I always say I hate networking and here I am right in the middle of it again. So. Yes, <laughs> you are uh, neck deep and, and so much for that swearing off of uh, telco work. Um, exactly. But so, so where did, uh, you know, you know, where, like, where did Kubevert come into that? Was that like, you know, you, you had this background with, um, you know, Linux and it's, it's super cool that you were involved in the Sputnik work, by the way. Um, just really awesome. But, uh, you know, that just kind of like come out of like you were doing OpenStack and then you were doing OpenShift and you were like, oh, okay, so let me just take my peanut butter and put it in my chocolate kind of thing or what? Right. Well, it sounds easy to draw that conclusion now. Um, you know, you know, when they first started releasing cell phones with cameras in them and they were like these terrible low quality images that you couldn't even hardly see because the screens on the phones were so small. Well, I thought that was the most ridiculous sales gimmick in the world. And of course, now the main reason I take my phone anywhere is so that I have my camera with me. So the, the thing about virtual machines in Kubernetes is I originally had the exact same impression. So if you have an upcoming technology and you want to get kind of test the waters for if it's going to be a good one, wait until I call it stupid and then you'll know you're, you, you've, you've found gold. All right, folks, there you have it. Your litmus test for future technologies. I wouldn't consider myself uh, the, the perfect test, but maybe at least as accurate as a groundhog. So I started off on Zen Server once I figured out that, you know, uh, just running VMs on my laptop wasn't really going to give me the educational experience I wanted. And the reason I fell in love with hypervisors is because I had spent years trying to self teach. Um, infrastructure provisioning and building systems. I don't know why. Um, I found a Linux book in uh, in the library. I think it was RHEL 5 or something like that. I guess it wouldn't be RHEL at that time. But uh, managed to get it installed in an old family computer and then realized that just kind of gave me access to a whole new world of things to tinker with. Um, and so I was just kind of hooked on it since. But provisioning things on metal all the time can be extremely time consuming. Even if you get good at it and you automate it, the um, turnaround cycle for destroying and reprovisioning metal is, in my opinion, um, significantly more lengthy than you know, spinning a VM, destroying the VM and spinning it again. And once I, once I got used to that idea, I realized that the faster I could spin a new VM, the faster I could learn and um, that was the beginning of my hatred of progress bars. So um, I have Optane-backed virtual machine storage now, which is about as excessive as the number of pixels on my desk, but um, helps prevent my uh, 
throwing computers out the window and, you know, they're not running quite as quick as I would hope them to. So um, anyway, going from Zen um, to KVM-based virtual machines, Libvirt and all that, it was interesting because you had things like Proxmox, which could kind of help you orchestrate stuff. Proxmox has come a long way, and I've seen screenshots and some workflows in on YouTube that were pretty impressive. Um, it's been years and years since I ran it myself. Um, but but when I heard about Kubevert, I thought, that sounds like you're smashing really complicated stuff on top of really complicated stuff. And now we're just going to have a mess. Um, but I was also looking at it the same way at the time I was really... Um, working pretty deep on OpenStack stuff. And so it was, you know, Python lines and Python lines and trying to figure out the routers and the OVS and all that stuff. So I just imagined it being like the worst of both worlds, right? But um, once I got to Red Hat, we were doing a POC and that included some of their Kubevert product offering on OpenShift. And um, I was like, okay, I'm going to figure out how to at least be good at the basics. Um, and, and once I actually put hands to keyboard and tried it out and saw that I can store virtual machine images in a registry and distribute them just like all of the other container images. And um, Multis was pretty simple to use. And you could just declare what networks you wanted where and what MAC addresses they were going to have. And they could all be in this clean YAML file. Um, that, that definitely challenged the original opinion that I had of hypervisors in general, which were this very imperative workflow traditionally, which could be automated, but still left you with that procedural approach instead of the declarative, um, state managed, uh, systems that, um, I like to enjoy as much as possible now. Yeah. So I will say that my initial impression of Kubevert was much the same. And I was also uh, doing OpenStack back in the day. I was more on the OVS stuff that everybody else struggled with. But, uh, and I remember thinking about it and I had some you know, industry colleagues that were working on it. And I'm just like, why in the world? Like, what, like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's really tempting. It's like, both of these things make my head hurt. Let's not put them both together at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but now you can spin a kind cluster and have a VM running with Kubert in a few minutes, which is mind blowing for me. It is. It, I agree. Yes, it is mind blowing. Um, but like you, uh, over time, uh, I have come to appreciate the value of the control plane, the the, the reconciliation loop um, that is, you know, core to Kubernetes, right? And the various ways in which you can use that in a lot of um, different use cases, more than just necessarily container orchestration, um, as we see with things like cross-plane and others. Um, and so the idea of using um, the Kubernetes control plane to manage virtual machines and manage virtual machine lifecycle, now, to me, it doesn't seem so strange as it did initially. So I don't know whether it's just a matter of like, I am being molded by the collective or I have gained wisdom over the years. I'm not sure which one it is, so... Well, we, we are now assimilated, however it happened. Um, that, you know, actually, I think the way that it happened is when, for me, was um, 
when working with VMs and getting faster at that turnaround time for destroy and recreate, um, what I always tried doing was accelerating the speed at which I could build a system from scratch and achieve the same outcome multiple times in a row. And that consumed thousands of hours um, of hobby time, which seems harder and harder to come by now, right? Yes. And so once I got used to this idea, I can describe how something should end up being and then just see it come together. Um, it made it seem easier in the long run, just because you don't have to create these recipes of procedures. And now you just have an outcome that you're describing. I, I think that's when I, it finally clicked for me that I was not going to go back to traditional hypervisors. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I guess I can see the thread, um, you know, sort of linking you from there to the, the your framework. Uh, because one of the things you mentioned that was attractive to you about working with Kubevert was now being able to store and distribute virtual machine images much in the same way as we would container images. Um, so, I mean, would you fair to say that like there's that sort of link is is perhaps what, you know, one of the things that has attracted you to, you know, this next project that's that's, you know, taking up your time? Uh, yeah, so um, I think distribution, which is what you called out there, I think is key to the importance of, of UOR. Well, really to just the fundamentals of OCI registries. OCI being, of course, Open Container Initiative. And those container registries have proven a huge success with adoption um, and with easing the requirements for distributing systems, even in air gap scenarios. Um, when I was working with the DOD, obviously they have air gap systems all over the place. I mean, when we're deploying on a submarine, we don't really get that, you know, gig fiber, 10 gig fiber that we all, you know, dream of having at home if we don't already. Um, and, and container registries give you that ability to say, hey, we have created a little bit of tooling that goes and finds all of the layers for the containers we said we needed. And it shoved those into those things into this other registry. And now we have everything we need to deploy in a completely disconnected environment. And there's, there, there's my kitty. Hello, you're interrupting the main star of the show, ladies and gentlemen. Um, anyway, so we were improving the speed uh, that, that we could an efficiency for maintaining images in an air gap and then updating those things over time. And what we realized is it's so easy to move anything that is in an OCI registry anywhere we want it. And when we tried accomplishing the same level of success with any other kind of artifact, well, we discovered that we, we continually <laughs> failed over and over and over to achieve that same level of consistent outcome and user uh, ease of use. That, that user experience just never could be the same. Um, and, and we accepted the status quo for a long time. And then my friend, uh, Alex, he, he was looking, kind of paying attention to the structure of the manifest that describes container images in, in a V2 registry. 
And he realized that it had these annotations, which we were taking for granted because they helped us identify we have, you know, an x86 or an AMD64 platform. And we're just getting the right platform image because the manifests are handling all that logic. Um, just telling you what the data is before you have to go download it. So he was like, we can do that with other attributes is what we call them. Um, we can describe the data in other ways too. And it doesn't just have to be container image layers. You know, a lot of people are using registries for Helm deployment or Helm charts um, distribution and more and more things as we go. Wasm modules are happening. Um, and so that distribution story is key, but what we ended up realizing is we can declare a state in a, a container registry by publishing plain text files to a registry and describing them with attributes so that the registry actually describes the outcome we want, much like etcd does in Kubernetes. So now we have this capability to statically describe the outcome that we want for anything and start implementing control planes to achieve consistency with that description without the um, overhead of standing up a new etcd cluster everywhere we go and things like that. And that's kind of where we're really headed um, for lots of disciplines, uh, whether it's networking or platform delivery, like what I do, um, or even distributing. We've already proven that we are backwards compatible for distributing Python packages. Um, so it's not just a new technology we're telling everyone to adopt all of a sudden. Um, it's, it's compatible with existing systems. We'll get you back to full stack journey after this from sponsor AppDynamics. AppDynamics Cloud is observability for your cloud native stack. Feed AppDynamics Cloud telemetry and it will feed you visualizations and insights about your applications and infrastructure. AppDynamics Cloud is purpose built to observe your full stack of cloud native architectures at scale. Ingest and visualize all metrics, events, logs, and trace data across your entire technology landscape. And a key idea behind AppDynamics Cloud is to help you make use of all that telemetry, correlate it between systems, map your dependencies, the relationships, even your ephemeral services, look across domains to understand how a slow stack component is impacting the rest of the system and get to the root cause of production impacting issues quickly. AppDynamics Cloud is more than just troubleshooting, though. The tool offers AI-driven insights designed to point out issues before they become problems for your enterprise. So be proactive. Stay ahead of failures to maintain availability and optimize performance. With AppDynamics Cloud, you can make sense of the current state of the entire IT stack all the way to the end user. And from there, you can take action to optimize costs, help the business maximize revenue per transaction, and better secure data. Learn more and observe what matters at appdynamics.com slash cloud tour promo. That is appdynamics.com slash cloud tour promo. And now back to full stack journey with Scott Lowe. I mean, that's that in and of itself is kind of mind blowing, but I mean, I guess it, it paints the, the possibility of, you know, this effort, you know, unifying you know, PyPy and, uh, you know, the NPM registry, NPM JS registry mm -hmm. and, 
you know, container registries and adding VM images. I mean, you have like a, a single unified solution that can um, store and distribute, as you point out, distribute, distribution being a big part of it, store and distribute um, or, or simplify distribution of all of these things. And that's just um, kind of honestly, you know, head exploding to be real. Yeah, um, it surprises me still. Um, I was uh, tasked with it. It might seem like a vanity thing, but in virtual machines that are KVM based, you have this SM BIOS that you boot the VM from and you can declare um, strings in the make and model and machine type um, SM BIOS metadata fields, which are really valuable so that you can, that the OS inside of that can understand where it lives and some things about its intrinsic nature. Um, so that automation can key off of that and perform actions that, you know, you program for those specific environments. Anyway, um, part of the SM BIOS fields that you can manipulate are um, UUID and um, a firmware ID. So you can set up a firmware ID for a large deployment of VMs and they can, you know, the OSs in those can understand that they are, you know, of common um, type. And then you can set up specific UUIDs for each individual VM that are declared in the YAML definition for the VM. And that's exciting to me because um, now we can create, create those UUIDs on your VM definition have the OS inside of the VM understand that that's its UUID. And you can write those UUIDs to um, a manifest in, that you store in uh, your OCI registry. And because of the Empress attributes endpoint, which is an extension of the OCI attribute or uh, OCI API, you can query directly by those attributes. So now we have the advantages of content addressing, which is when you pull images by their um, SHA. We have location-based addressing, which is when you pull an image based on their you know, namespace and image name and then image tag as like latest or version one or whatever. And then finally, now we've added the ability to query uh, based on attribute. So we can you combine all three types of data addressing to now pull just the manifest that's required for that one virtual machine. So it's no longer a push action and the virtual machine can understand its own identity, if you will, and query for that identity to find out what it's supposed to do. Um, and those types of... Uh, implementations are the things that are really important to me. It makes me wonder what can we do at the bootloader level or can we completely rewrite how we do metal provisioning? Um, you know, Pixie is a key piece of, of infrastructure today, um, but it's built on technology that predates, I think, a lot of people in tech now. Um, and, and this gives us a really clean way to apply what we've learned about state controllers in Kubernetes to bare metal systems directly. 
yeah. the dream anyway. Yeah, as you were describing, having the OS be able to know what its UUID is and write those attributes into the, the BIOS and, and uh, the, the BIOS fields and so on and so forth, my, my mind immediately went to bare metal provisioning, right? And yep. what impact that would have on systems like uh, Pixie and other solutions built around Pixie. I think we'd, we'd still need something of the DHCP sort to get us on the network, but then after that, it might be yes, you know, it might be, it might be enough to to go. Well, from now there. you can, yeah, now you can key off of um, hardware attributes besides just the MAC address, which right now we rely extremely heavily on MAC addresses for at least control plane duty. Right? right, workers might just be you have an IP, okay, you must be on the network, but if you're building the control plane, you're probably setting your DHCP server to hand out very specific static addresses to those control plane nodes. And now uh -huh. you're, you know, you're treating those nodes like um, pets, right? Instead of cattle. Um, I, I raised cattle. So that, that analogy really, really fits for me. <laughs> I imagine so. Um, yeah. So that's, that's very cool. Um, and I, I can see, you know, now having, you know, having had you share sort of like how you moved through the roles and sort of how you got involved with various things, um, a, a progression there, right? You know, a, a, a link or a thread um, of, I wouldn't, not necessarily that they're all related to the same problem, but that they are all related in the, in the things you're doing. Like you look at them individually and you might say, okay, here's cube for it. And here's you are, and here's something else. And they appear to be, you know, just a bunch of, projects, right? But there is yeah. a common thread sort of bringing them through. And uh, so that, that's very cool. Um, I wonder, um, you know, how, and it, it's it's easy to look back on this sort of now and say, oh yeah, this is how it progressed. But I mean, how much of that do you think was like, I don't want to say how much did you plan, but like how much of it was happenstance, how much of it was sort of what you had hoped and and sort of groomed for right you know this is kind of like this is the ideal outcome that i've been looking for rather than making the best of whatever was handed to you i mean i wonder if you know what's your perspective on that yeah i i definitely benefit from a lot of people opening doors to me um uh, it's definitely a mix of being in the right place at the right time but also trying to open as many doors as possible so there, there was almost, there was this period where, you know, people were like, is that really your hobby? You're, you're, you're being kind of obsessive, which is very fitting with my personality. I'm probably a little bit too obsessive with my hobbies sometimes. Um, but I enjoyed it. And my, my dream for success was to make computers boring. Like what they can do should not be boring, but making them do that task should be boring. So my goal was always, what are my options? What of those options is the easiest for me to make happen um, and the most affordable when, especially when that was really the key deciding factor. Um, and then also what success that I find, can I share with other people so that they can find success for themselves as well? So that that is kind of the driving 
uh, background noise uh, for, I guess, just being so attached to what I was doing. And then it really all came down to picking things that were important to me um, and helped me find success and sticking with those, even if, you know, all of the comments online were like, why don't you just use VMware? Why don't you just use Hyper-V or, you know, Proxmox or what have you? It it was really just what what helps me uh, reach my desired outcome in a repeatable way that I can share with other people. And when you have a free IPA server or something in your home lab and you're like, oh my gosh, finally got it working. I want to share this with a friend. If you have one YAML file that you can share with a friend and they pull down the same VM image and that VM image stands itself up and now they have an IPA server that maybe they didn't even want to face the struggle of figuring out, but they really wanted to use it. That's just such a cool thing to share with people, in my opinion. And I guess the career was just kind of a side effect of being passionate and pursuing those things, Um, but also sharing those things with other people because doors never would have been opened if I didn't have a community of people that I was part of who knew that I was looking to pursue those interests in professional capacities, right? Yeah, right. So uh, I think... There's a few things that that jumped out at me uh, out of what you just shared that I want to I want to call out to the listeners. I think these are, to me anyway, like little nuggets of of you know experience. Right. Um, first, I think it's I think it's really important that um, as you have had that you have a like a goal, a driving vision. Right. You talked about I want to make computers boring, not what they well, not what you can do with them, but just the point of getting them to the point to be able to do that, just it to be boring, right? I don't want to have yes. people put in a bunch of effort to get a system up and running. I want to make it just like, okay, here, here's the system it's up and running. Now go do something cool with it, right? Um, and I and and so you had this this sort of singular vision. You were, were then absolutely dedicated and committed to sort of filling out that vision. And so you you set about, you know, very determinately to find projects and efforts that helped you fulfill that vision and really were willing to um, put in the additional effort, even as a a quote unquote hobby, right? To try to make something work. And that in turn, uh, coupled with the fact that you are sharing uh, all the stuff that you learn back with um, the, the communities that you're a member of, uh, opens up a lot of doors, which then gives you the ability to say, you know, hey, if I've got five doors open, which door can I take that helps me fulfill this this vision, right? Um, to give me more opportunities and access to more resources. And I think, you know, if for, for listeners who are out there listening and, and, and think about like, you know, okay, how can I structure, you know, my career or how should I be structuring my career or how can I, you know, take sort of these things that I find interesting um, and and do something with them? I think there are some lessons here of, you know, being willing to put in the effort, even if it's on your own time, right? To open doors and then using those open doors to fulfill that vision and to help others fulfill their vision as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, my friend and I parted, like took diverging paths um, when we both left Dell. Um, and he opted to target 
uh, a career in a government job working in a, a science observatory. And it was just a stable, I go to work, I do my job, I come home and then I, you know, live my life. And for me, it was this, I live my life and I find employers who will help me fund the types of projects I want to work on. Um, and, and obviously there's give and take in that because I don't just always get my way, despite what I'd really like to think. Um, but I, I, I like to think of it as, uh, looking at that outcome that you're aiming for in your personal life, not just in your professional life and saying, which path is going to lead towards my happy outcome. And it might be that you want that stable routine and you don't want to carry the weight of, uh, of innovating and, and that's your happy outcome. And sometimes I am so jealous of finding contentment with that, but I didn't. Um, and I do find contentment chasing like the technology of tomorrow. So there, there are definitely different ways to approach your career and, and how you, how you design that. Um, but if you are chasing that uh, kind of career development or community standing and, and, and integration with other communities that are advancing computing, um, I, I don't have a recipe, but I did spend a lot, a lot of time with IRC, right? Just sitting on a monitor and just watching what people talk about for like troubleshooting and helping each other out. And that was a key thing of learning. Um, it's amazing how many things you can learn passively. And then you just stumble on someone figuring things out that you were struggling with. Don't even get me started for how many months I spent trying to figure out HA proxy when I first encountered it. Um, I, I like to say I would make a terrible doctor. Um, I will inevitably find a great out uh, solution to a problem, but at the cost of hundreds or thousands of failures, depending on how rapid my, you know, test and retry cycle is. Um, and, and, and I've been told that that doesn't really work if you're a doctor. So I'm glad I'm not in the medical profession. I, I know exactly what you mean, because that would be me as, as well. As well. <laughs> um, you know, we, we often talk about how we learn through failure and um and you know i was i was just doing a a a speaking thing this past week and i'm uh, talking to folks and we were you know like look um you know you're, you're talking about career development how do you want to develop your career like if you haven't started embracing things that and you mentioned this earlier in the in the episode you know like how quickly you can get you know an environment set up right? And restore that environment and then tear it back down and then come back again, because that facilitates all the other learning, right? Um, that was what drove me to start doing Vagrant and, and other, you know, various automation tools. And now what drives me at Pulumi is how quickly can I get an environment created to do something that I want to do, which is the ultimate goal, not creating the environment, but the other thing. And how quickly can I get that environment created and then do that other thing that I want to do and then tear it back down again and and, and the faster I can do that, then the faster I can accelerate my own learning, my own growth and, and all of that. Um, so, I mean, I think that sort of aligns very much with, you know, the way you've approached things. And I, 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 I just love the story of, you know, hearing you talk about, um, you know, spending time in IRC. I did the same thing way back in the day and, 
you would hang out in channels and and just watch people share information and and oh try this try that maybe you should do this maybe you should do that i i even had a way back in the day had a series of blog posts that i was sharing lessons that i learned in irc about troubleshooting vmware um which i was doing at the time with other people right you know so i'm taking information from irc and learning lessons myself and then turning around and sharing that on my website to help other people too so it, it just um very very cool but anyway i, I still come across so I, i'm sorry i i should have waited i still come across um google results that solve my problems written by you and oh, really? <laughs> i i i i'm gonna owe you a debt of gratitude um so maybe i'll make sure someone says something about that in my eulogy as well life well, the the success in life was powered by scott Lowe. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. I had somebody come up to me uh, real quick, and then I know we need to wrap up because I'm just about out of time. But I had somebody come up to me this past week while I was I was out meeting with people, and they said, um, I met you in 2012. That's 10 years ago, right? Nearly, nearly 11 years ago. Um, I met you in 2012, and you gave this presentation, and it changed my life. And um, I honestly don't know how to respond to those things other than like, you know, well, thank you for telling me. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that everything worked out really well. But it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's, I guess the right thing to say to folks who are listening is like the impact that you can have on others around you is far greater than you realize, right? So the impact that Kat has in sharing her knowledge and the things that she's learned it's probably far greater than she realizes just as the impact that I've had in other people's lives by sharing what I learn is far greater than um, I realize as well. And so I guess what I would like to, to say to folks um, as we get ready to wrap up is, you know, don't be afraid of sharing what you learned because it may be able to change somebody's life in a way that you never anticipated. So anyway, um, all right, Kat, we got to wrap things up. Um, any Any final like thoughts that you'd like to share with listeners? I mean, I know... You just switched jobs and you're at Microsoft now and, um, you know, and, and I know you're, you're super excited about working on Telco again, I can tell. Um, but <laughs> I am though, that's, that's the irony. <laughs> but uh, in, any final thoughts you want to share with listeners before we wrap up? And then I want you to, you know, to share with listeners how they can find you online as well. Yeah, uh, it, for me, the, the reward in working in tech is the community and the give back. So um, don't be afraid to not just ask questions, but share your journey as you solve your own problems. Um, the, the journeys have that I've seen other people share have been incredibly valuable to my learning experience and my um, and growing in the ability to map out my own journeys to finding solutions. And um, it makes you very human um, to share those learning journeys. It also, I think, is inspiring to other people who might be more likely to um, also give back when they see people sharing. So uh, it's all about the community. I can't agree. Can't agree more. It is all about community. It's all about sharing. So, um, all right, Kat, real quick, where can people find you online if they want to um, follow what you're sharing? Yeah, Um I, I keep links up on Linktree, so barring anything else going sideways, um, that should be uh, an easy way to to find different ways to connect. Um, messages are always welcome if 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 we want to just 
shoot uh, shoot the wind and talk about fun technologies or learning journeys. Um, and then, of course, user bin cat on um, Twitter. That's my handle most anywhere. Got it. Perfect. Well, I'll put links for that in the show notes, uh, listeners. So uh, you can um, connect with Kat online and uh, follow her journey. And maybe, as she said, that will help um, inspire or um, shape your own journey as well. And uh, that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, I want to thank listeners again for joining uh, me uh, and Kat for this episode of the Full Stack Journey. Uh, always love to hear feedback from listeners on the podcast. So if you have any feedback, don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter as at Scott underscore low, or you can um, hit the podcast, um, which has its own Twitter handle at FSJ podcast, also on Twitter. Either way is fine. Um, uh, you know, it's basically me behind both accounts, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but uh, either way, we'd love to hear from you. And if you get a chance to drop us a review on uh, whatever platform you happen to find the podcast on, that'd be great. It helps us find new listeners and helps us reach more folks who uh, might be impacted by some of the information that um, our guests share. So this is the Full Stack Journey Podcast, where too much learning is never enough. Mm-hmm.